You may think physical therapy is only for those who've been injured or had a joint replaced, but there's more to the story. Physical therapists are movement specialists who help patients in the hospital, in the clinic, and in their homes. They help people get back to their mobility and activities of daily life. Lauren Williams is part of the physical therapy team at Sarah Bush Lincoln, and she'll be here to talk more about her line of work and offer us some great tips we can all implement right now to relieve neck and shoulder discomfort. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this message. Having a trusted source of health care that's on your side. That's listening to you and addressing your health concerns is important. When you get excellent care close to home, we can do more together. We can achieve more together. We can be the kind of community we all want, and that's important. That's who we are. Sarah Bush Lincoln, trusted, compassionate care, right here, close to home. Welcome to Health Styles, the podcast. I'm your host, Lori Banks, and today we're talking about physical therapy. This is our first physical therapy podcast. Lauren, I'm so excited to have you here. Excited to be here. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where do you work at? What areas do you cover here at Sarah Bush Lincoln? I am primarily home health, but I do help out in inpatient and outpatient. Sarah Bush was gracious to give me that unique opportunity to work all three settings, so I'm very thankful. So home health, that means you're traveling to individual people's homes and helping with physical therapy. When someone is homebound, that means that they have very difficulty getting out and just going to a clinic. So we'll go in, we'll make assessments. Something as simple as five steps in order to enter or exit their home might prevent them from being able to go to a clinic. So we'll go to their home. Usually I'm paired up with occupational therapy, and then we will assess them physically as well as monitor their activity tolerance and just try to see how and what goals do we need to make in order to get them into the clinic or just progress them where they don't need us anymore. So Lauren, if you had to define physical therapy for someone who didn't know anything about it, what would you tell them? What would be your elevator pitch? We are musculoskeletal specialists and right now schooling for physical therapy is at a doctoral level. So what that means is that you also participate in research. I had a capstone project that we could dive even more detailed. When we're talking about musculoskeletal, we're talking about a lot of like muscles and trying to figure out how pain can be affected by that. So physical therapy, we do an assessment. We look at like range of motion. How much can you move your joint? Look at the muscles that are involved. If there's nerve involvement, is there pain? What kind of pain? Um, Another thing is that I have patients that fall because I work primarily in home health. So why are they falling? Are they falling because they're tripping? Are they falling because they're passing out? Are they falling because they're dizzy? All things of which physical therapy can treat. Okay. So what is, how is physical therapy different than personal training? Because personal trainers deal with movement and muscles. Sure. Physical therapy, we usually get our patients with a specific diagnosis, or sometimes we'll just be like back pain. So we're looking at some kind of deficit that we want to address in addition to doing the strengthening and making sure they can get up and move around in the activity tolerance component. Personal training, most of the time the person is fairly healthy and then they're working more on like a maintenance program. So, or they have a specific physical goal that they want to work towards. Um, One of the things I love about Sarah Bush is that we'll have patients go through our outpatient physical therapy clinic. 
they get to a point where they're doing really well, they just kind of need a maintenance program. They just need someone to touch base with them on their goals. So we actually have a wonderful relationship with the personal trainers down there at the Center for Healthy Living. And we can talk to them, kind of get that transitional piece, and then we'll hand them off to a personal trainer. Okay. So when does someone see a physical therapist? I know when you hear, well, someone had a knee replacement and physical therapy is involved, but I know you see a lot more than just people who have had joints replaced, right? Correct. Um, The amount of patients and diagnosis that I've been able to treat has been very wide and diverse. Um, So for example, sometimes patients feel dizzy. Well, is it an activity tolerance thing or is it a vertigo thing? Vertigo basically just means I look over my shoulder or I'm looking down at the ground and I look up and all of a sudden I feel this whoosh of dizziness. So that would be an example that we have different movements that we can encourage the patient to do to try to address that dizziness. In addition to that, I have a lot of patients with COPD, CHF, and now, of course, we have some post-COVID symptoms as well. And post-COVID can also be um, closely related to pneumonia kind of things, which we have been treating for a really long time. So just monitoring that activity tolerance, make sure that their systems are not being overstressed too much while doing the activities that they love. I'm sure as a physical therapist over the years, you've had people come to you with lots of myths and misconceptions about physical therapy. What are some of those? Uh, First off, we're not massage therapists, unfortunately. However, we do have a wonderful massage therapist here at Sarah Bush. Shout out to BJ. Another thing is that I've had patients say, well, I can't run a mile, so whatever, what are you going to do with me in physical therapy? We are not going in there thinking you already are obtaining a certain physical level. A lot of my patients have, their main goal is just being able to walk back and forth to the bathroom. And so we're just helping them with that. When someone's prescribed physical therapy, I know the length can vary is how many sessions they have, how long it is, but what's kind of the average length of time that someone will spend in physical therapy? So it depends on what setting you're in. Um, For home health, typically it's two to three times a week is what we're limited to. If you are in what we call acute rehab, means meaning it's like a facility that you would stay at 24-7 that you could get therapy every single day. An outpatient, there are certain protocols depending upon what type of surgery you just had that you might be able to be seen every single day versus two times or three times a week. One of the things that I always tell my patients when I'm transitioning them from home health to outpatient is just have that open conversation. Insurance, unfortunately, can sometimes limit the amount of sessions that are covered. So if that if financial thing is a concern, then I'll tell my patients to be transparent with that therapist. If you only have time for one time a week, because we also work, so people's schedules sometimes can be really intense. If it is that one time a week, that just means they're going to give you a lot of homework, and they're really going to hope that you follow through with that homework. So it is kind of a fluid, just depends on that diagnosis. However, just as long as you have that open communication with your therapist, we can find a program that works best for you as well as your goals. All right. So if someone is going to their first physical therapy appointment, let's just let's just say it's for a joint replacement. They've had knee replacement surgery. What what should they expect? What's in store? Uh, Usually we take you to a treatment room and we'll just have what we call a history just trying to get in the list of things that you have dealt with in the past and whether or not that might affect how we see you. So if I have a patient that's diabetic or has heart-related diagnoses, I'll tell them, if you feel out of sorts, let me know. I could take your blood pressure, monitor vitals, that kind of thing. Also, we're going to take an assessment. 
What we mean by assessment is that we're going to have different special tests, look at range of motion, strengthening, try to boil all of that down to what kind of treatment do we want to give you. And so that's usually the exercises or um, stretches. Also, we have what we call like manual type of techniques. So if it's passive range of motion, meaning the therapist is doing all the movement and seeing where that joint is. So after all of that, we usually boil it down to a home exercise program. Really encourage our patients to do those homework because if they only do those exercises two times a week for maybe 30 minutes, it's going to be hard to obtain those goals. But if they incorporate that into their everyday life, then yes, we can take you to that next level. That leads into perfectly into my next question. Or what are the things that make physical successful for a patient? And then we'll get into unsuccessful. I'm guessing it's that homework. Yes, it is very much that homework. We highly encourage that. I'll admit sometimes I'll just give my patient that handout and they'll tell me, yep, I've been doing it every day. I'm like, okay, can you show me? And when they kind of have that deer in headlights, it's like, okay, but that's all right. I understand sometimes the treatment process can be very daunting. Um, Like I said, I work in home health a lot, and that basically means when a patient gets out of that hospital, they have so many things they're trying to sort through. So if you do feel overwhelmed, just let your physical therapist know. We can boil it down to if it means giving you more handouts, if it means we just need to practice a certain technique a little bit more. We are all ears. I learn just as much from every single patient as much as they learn from me. And it makes me a better physical therapist for it. Lauren, you talked a little earlier about post-COVID. And that is something I, I only think of physical therapists as someone who's had, you know, you see them when you've had an injury or a joint replacement, but you, you deal with people who've had pneumonia. Absolutely. Okay. So talk about this post-COVID sure. thing and what you're seeing and what you're treating people for, how you're helping. Right. So first of all, when we're seeing, if we have a patient that is really suffering from COVID to the point that they had to be hospitalized, physical therapy starts in the hospital. So we are looking at, can we get them out of bed? How much oxygen are they on? Are the ability, do they have the ability just to walk back and forth to the bathroom? And then inpatient, we also look at what is it going to take for them to discharge to a safe um, location. So if that means they need to go to rehab, which are at nursing homes, that means they can go home if they have proper family support. We make those recommendations as well as durable medical equipment, meaning crutches, walkers. Do they need a ramp to get inside that house? How many steps do they need to do? Do we need to practice those steps? So that's step one. Step two is after they get discharged, if they do go home, I can see them in the home health setting and we look at how to get that activity tolerance back. It's been really interesting how much COVID has impacted our general population. Um, Some people really focus on, well, what was the hospitalization list? Personally, I would love to know how much long hauler syndrome is out there because I feel like that's a number that doesn't get passed around a whole lot. People that had COVID that are having lasting effects. And I want to make sure that if you do, if you did have COVID and you do have those lasting effects and you feel like you're not obtaining certain functional goals that you would like, please reach out to us. We would love to help you. So for a lot of these patients, it's kind of two things. It's they've been in a hospital bed for a number of days or weeks, which really diminishes your physical capabilities. Right. And then the COVID itself is impacting, is it their lungs and their breathing and their oxygen levels? It could be lungs, breathing, and oxygen levels. Also mentation. Um, Unfortunately, with isolation, which 
you know, there's that give and take. There's the, we don't want to keep spreading it, so we got to isolate. But while they're in isolation, sometimes that mental aspect also suffers. So it can uh, involve so many things. When the whole taste and um, smell changes after COVID that a lot of people have heard about, that means it is transitioning into that blood-brain barrier and crossing over. So we want to make sure that it's all-encompassing. Um, so sometimes patients may not be as sharp mentally. And then also we're looking at, yes, their heart rate, their oxygen levels, how much energy do they have? We have this thing called a rate of perceived exertion scale. Basically, it's just a subjective way of saying, how tired do you feel? I'm looking at all these numbers. It's not matching what I'm seeing right there because sometimes I have patients, they're standing just fine, their heart rate's fine, but man, they look like they're struggling. So then that's also a wonderful way that we can try to figure out what kind of activity tolerance do they have? Okay. Gosh, that's interesting. I would have never thought that your field would get be involved in COVID, yeah. but, but you are. It's definitely been an interesting ride these last two years. Um, one of the things that was also really interesting for me specifically with working all three settings is just seeing how they look in inpatient and then how they look in that home setting. And then, yes, sometimes we'll even get them to outpatient if we feel like that's appropriate as well. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, as we wrap up today, I want you to give us some tips. Those are tips from the physical therapist. I want you to help our listeners with some advice for relieving kind of common pains that we have, maybe related to our work situation, you know, how we work, you know, things like stiff necks, you know, all those stiff shoulders. What are the things that, that we can do to help ourselves? Sure. Um, Step one, ergonomics. It's a special word. So what I mean by ergonomics is how are you sitting in the chair? Right now, I'm currently crossing my legs, and let's be honest, I should have both feet touching the ground because when I cross my legs, what do I do? I automatically hunch over, and my elbow is resting on my knee, and my upper back sometimes hurts, and there's nothing more frustrating than a physical therapist having an aches and pain and know exactly what I should be doing. I just need to do it. So... If you're working at a computer for long hours, make sure that first line of text is at eye level, having your hips and knees at 90 degree angle, and then also having nice support for those elbows. That's going to help you in the work setting. Also, a lot of my patients are in the home setting, so they like to hang out recliners a lot. I'm always encouraging them, make sure that that low back is touching the back of the chair. Do we need to put a lumbar pillow? Let's be honest, gravity lets us sink into that recliner. So if we're in that wonderful reclined position, all nice and comfortable, but nothing is supporting our lower back, probably over time they're going to end up with back pain. And so, it, and that's probably a big demographic of physical therapy is also back pain. So I'm always encouraging, make sure you have that lumbar support, make sure you scoot back. That can also be said the same thing when you're driving in your car, hands are always out forward. So try to squeeze those shoulder blades back a little bit and just kind of work on that. That's something in the home health setting when I'm working in, or when I'm driving to patients' houses, I'm sitting there thinking about, okay, I could be working on my scapular retraction. I can make sure that my elbows are nice supported by my armrests and making sure I'm making the right decision so therefore the next day I don't have that upper trap pain. All right, so I've always heard that cross, ladies crossing your legs is not good. Is that true? So if you are a person that's prone to sciatic pain, when you cross your legs, all of your weight starts going into one butt cheek. Where is that sciatic pain usually originating from? That one butt cheek. So that's something. Also, guys do get SI pain as well as sciatic pain because let's be honest, 
like my dad, he has a wallet that is two inches thick. And I'm always telling them, like, if you think about it, you're constantly sitting on a wallet that's two inches thick. That's going to have that change for that lower back that you're just sitting at rest. So, guys, when you are driving for long hours a day, take that wallet out, put it in that center console, please, so we can try to save your lower back. So another thing that a lot of my patients suffer from is that upper back pain, and that can be caused by having your head too far forward. When you think about your head being forward, I want you to think about a bowling ball. Now straight, you're holding that bowling ball, your arms are straight out in front of you. Can you hold it that long? Not really. It's, re it's going to be really, really tiring. So a second that you bring that bowling ball where it's touching your chest, you could hold that a lot longer. I want you to think about your head being that bowling ball. So if your head is way out in front, those muscles are straining to keep your head up. So trying to do th something like a chin tuck, which is basically just kind of chucking, tucking your whole head backwards and just working on those muscles and also just trying to keep your head even in between your shoulders, that would definitely help with that upper back pain and trying to limit how much tenderness that you would feel over there. So I think that would be another thing because... Let's be honest, my generation, what do we do? We are on our cell phones, we are on our laptops, we are working on things that involve our heads probably forward and hunched. And so we wanna make sure we're trying to work on that head and neck posture, being more upright and trying to limit that upper back pain. All right, great advice, Lauren. Thank you so much for talking Thank to us today. Thank you for having me, this has been fun. Thank you for listening to Health Styles. To learn more about physical and occupational therapy at Sarah Bush Lincoln, visit our website at sarahbush.org. We've got more great podcasts coming soon, so be sure to subscribe to our podcasts so you know when new shows are available. I'm your host, Lori Banks. Have a great day.